Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling In this episode, we're talking about week one of the Spike Magazine Trophy. Welcome to episode 10. In this episode, I don't have a script. <laughs> I didn't have time to... To write one, I do have my notes. I, of course, commentated all the games in this week. Uh, I'm excited to get this new competition underway, Spike Magazine Trophy. It's the second competition of the season. It was a great week, but I do apologize if this is a little a little too loose of an episode. Hopefully next week I'll have time to write a script. Uh, but without further ado, why don't we get into this week's games? The first game of the week was Tracksuit Mafia versus a Minor Matter. Tracksuit Mafia coached by Merrick Minor Matter, coached by Artificial Bunny. Tracksuit Mafia, a chaos team, a Minor Matter, Underworld. A Minor Matter would start the game off on offense, and in the inducement phase, they picked up Glart. I think Glart is a great star player. Glart is a Skaven star player with a strength of four, also has... Claw and Juggernaut. Claw, of course, makes armor rolls always break on an 8+. Juggernaut negates a number of block-related skills, but also allows you to push on a both-down result. With that strength of 4, Glart is a really good pickup for an Underworld team. On turn 1, a Minor Matter would take a foul, but they don't have any bribes, so that's really risky play, especially when you're 11v11 on the pitch. You could get called off. Only got a stun on the foul, so it didn't really work out. But at least they didn't get called off the pitch. A minor matter would also set up man-to-man on the line. This gave Tracksuit Mafia a lot of blocks to take. Some of them were three-die blocks. And because of this, they got a two-man player advantage on turn one. I, I would not have set up this way with this Underworld team. Underworld's really tricky to play. Tracksuit Mafia, they're chaos. They're just concerned about getting the SPP, getting that trifecta of skills, claws, mighty blow, and piling on on a player or two and otherwise they're just taking the blocks that they're given especially against a low av team low strength team like underworld underworld on the other hand is very difficult to play especially at low tvs they need to they also need to focus on spp but they're focused on getting those mutation skills and getting out the team the way artificial bunny wants to run his strategy he has yet to pick up too many of those Uh, But as he starts to pick them up, his strategy will start to become apparent. But until he gets there, he needs to keep his team alive and safe. And that's not going to happen when you go man-to-man against a Chaos team. A Minor Matter would send two Skaven down the left wide zone and one Goblin down the right, threatening the pass. But this really was just an easy mark on the Goblin. Tracksuit Mafia noticed it, took it, and didn't really work out i think the way a minor matter wanted it to work out it just took a number of players out of the drive tracksuit mafia would again recognize this and because of this they would apply early pressure on the ball carrier with two beastmen a minor matter would only have two players to protect the ball carrier they would need to get rid of this ball this is in turn two i think they would need to get rid of the ball they decided to hang on to it they thought it would be safe 
Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. They ended up losing the ball. And Tracksuit Mafia would injure the star player, injure Glart on turn two. So Glart was out of the game after just two turns. Both teams would wrestle for the ball for a few turns. And Tracksuit Mafia did a great job of keeping his team cohesion together while taking advantage of a minor matter's early strikeouts in those two wide zones in order to break apart that offense. Merrick is a Chaos Cup champion. He is a Blood Bowl finalist. So he's a great coach. And you can see him pinpointing these weaknesses in the tactics and taking full advantage of them. So good job to him. Tracksuit Mafia would recover the ball and did a great job of just playing good chaos ball. He would end up stalling for three turns. He had a cage. He'd dish out another injury, but not before a minor matter fouled. And the Tracksuit Mafia Minotaur ended up injured. I was surprised. I thought that was a risky foul. Not, not a risky foul, but a difficult foul. But man, uh, good job to Artificial Bunny there. Took out the big guy. The apothecary would get spent on that injury, and that would prove to be an important decision in the second half. A minor matter would do a great job in turning it around a bit at the end of the first half. In the final two, two turns of the half, he would apply pressure to stop the score. He got his team together, he mustered who he could, and he applied really good pressure to Tracksuit Mafia. He got the troll to mark the ball carrier. Think about that. That troll got all the way down pitch to the four-yard line. Really good job by Artificial Bunny applying that pressure, forcing Tracksuit Mafia to roll some dice. Tracksuit Mafia would succeed and score anyway, but it was really impressive to see just how quickly a minor matter was to sort of turn around from offense to defense and go from a risky offense to a really solid defense there at the end of the first half. The second half would begin with Tracksuit Mafia on offense. Tracksuit Mafia would get another KO on turn nine. A minor matter would not match the Minotaur with the troll. He kept the troll one space back off the line, presumably to keep him mobile, but that's not far enough back. He ended up getting marked by that Minotaur anyway after the Minotaur took a block and followed up. This second half for a minor matter would be marked by them not not quite dodging enough, I think. All those goblins have stunty, they have dodge. Uh, they can dodge fairly easily. He ended up being marked at the end of a lot of his turns, and this gave a lot of blocks to Tracksuit Mafia with with only a strength of two on your goblins and an AV of seven. They're going to fall one by one eventually. I, I think taking more blocks and forcing Tracksuit Mafia to just take the blitz would have been more effective. However, a minor matter really did do a good job of keeping the defense together, keeping that formation together, and keeping the defense as effective as possible. We saw that at the end of the first half, and he, he applied it again in the second half. On turn 11, a minor matter would do a YOLO goblin throw. At this point, Tracksuit Mafia had a standard cage. They were all the way down the pitch. A minor matter needed to do something. Good for him for picking up the goblin and just trying to do something. It was a six plus to land that goblin. He, of course, failed the landing, but then later took a three die uphill block, spent the TRR just trying anything to stop the cage from moving. I think some cage or some coaches would have pulled back and said, you know what? 
you've won this game. I'm going to keep my players alive. Really commendable that he tried everything to stay in this game and prevent that score. However, Tracksuit Mafia would indeed go up 2-0 to zero in turn 16. There'd be one turn left in turn 16, and that would be for a minor matter. Tracksuit Mafia, I think, made a mistake in this final turn. They put all their Beastmen deep to keep them from getting hit, but I think that actually gave up the blocks on the Chaos Warriors on the line. He had his Minotaur. Remember, he saved his Minotaur with the Apothecary, and he had two Chaos Warriors on the line. This allowed Minor Matter to take a block on all three of those of those players. And, of course, he would take the block on the Minotaur, and on turn 16, killed the Minotaur. <laughs> it was amazing. But the final score would be 2-0. to zero. Tracksuit Mafia would win week one. Game two of the week would be Pips Pippi Fan Club versus a Reptile Dysfunction. Two great coaches, a Reptile Dysfunction coach by Nick Satan. He is the current league champion, Pips Pippi Fan Club, coached by El Nuberino, consistently ranking high competition after competition. This is Lizard versus Lizard. There's not a whole lot of say in this matchup. It is very clearly a 5-5 matchup, but that means this matchup is a chess match. Each team has to hunt the other team's skinks that is tricky to do when all of your other players only have an ag of one so it becomes a game of of chess it becomes a game of where are your skinks in relation to your saruses are your saruses getting marked and locked down can you pull in the assist to break free asaurus to blitz free asaurus how do you hunt those skinks when do you pull the skinks in and and make them a possible target for a blitz. And we saw that in this entire game. PPFC would open the game with a turn one injury given to a reptile dysfunction. A reptile dysfunction would counter in turns three and four with injuries. Two skinks injured in turns three and four by a reptile dysfunction to PPFC. Good job by Nick Satan hunting those skinks. But both jobs up until this point, this whole first quarter, both jobs are really doing a fantastic job of avoiding the skink blitzes where possible and hunting skinks when the opportunity arises. If you didn't see the match, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out. It was, it's really fun to watch, and I think it's a really good match to see how Lizard plays. When you have a Lizard versus Lizard matchup, you can see how Lizard plays at a basal level where they go after the weaker players and they're trying to free up their stronger Sauruses. This was a great example of it in this game. Not just that, you'd see this, the Skinks move up and move back, keep trying to keep them safe, trying to get them into the game, but a great job by both teams keeping the formations tight. When those Sauruses get tied up, remember they have an AG of one, if they get tied up, it's very easy to lock them down and pick them off and split them away from the formation but both teams did a really good job of preventing that from happening. It was just so good to watch. On turn five, a reptile dysfunction would have a bit of a breakthrough. They would knock out a Saurus. No one would score at the end of the first half, though. It would be a 0-0 half. Start the second half, PPFC would be on offense. It was a touchback. Neither team had a kicker. A reptile dysfunction kicked the ball. It was a touchback. And oddly enough, Pips Pippy fan club gave the ball to Asaurus on the line. Remember, Asaurus has an AG of one. 
Thesaurus was on the line. Thesaurus was marked by an opposing Saurus. This was so bizarre. I couldn't figure out what the plan was. I almost thought it was a misclick. But what it turned out to be was a fantastic read by El Nubarino against Nick Satan. He put the ball right up on the line. He said, come get me. You think you can get this ball? Come at me. And Nick Satan took the bait. He went after the ball. He couldn't knock it out of the Saurus's hands. Remember, Saurus's have a strength of four. When it came around to PPFC's turn again, he ended up handing off to a skink. The skink crossed the pitch to the opposite wide zone, and the gambit paid off. Nick Satan then had to find himself on defense, scrambling back to the opposite end of this pitch, to the opposite wide zone, to try to defend against this ball carrier. Couldn't quite pull it off. PPFC would go up one to zero. What a read this was. And this is one of the things that makes Blood Bowl so great. Blood Bowl requires uh, execution. You need to know what it means to block. You need to know what it means to pass, how dodges work, right? You, you need to understand these situations. You need to understand probability. You need knowledge. You need to understand these skills and how they interact with each other. You need to understand the stats and how they interact with each other. But the third part of this game is reads. It's reading your opponent and counterplaying them. And El Nuberino did an exquisite job of it here in this play. It was a sight. Not to be outdone, a reptile dysfunction would go on offense and they would score in two turns. This is Wood Elf speed. Two-turn TD by Nick Satan. He would commit down the left wide zone. He'd set up a def uh, an offensive screen to protect his ball carrier with a couple of sarses and a skink. And he just shuttled that skink down the left wide zone, scored in two TDs to tie this game up. The final drive of the game would see rain. This is not so bad for these teams. Uh, might be worse for, say, uh, an AG3 team, like a human team. Not, not great for elves, but these teams can barely pick up the ball anyway. <laughs> so not too bad, but not great. Rain for the final three turns. Nobody can pick up the ball for the first full turn. So one turn for PPFC, one turn for Reptile Dysfunction. Neither could pick up the ball. PPFC would finally pick up the ball and run it down the left wide zone with a skink and one skink blocker. He took a page out of Nick Satan's book and said, you want to score quickly? I can do the same. Nick Satan was prepared for this, not fully prepared, but he was as prepared as he could be, ended up forcing PPFC to have to take four dodges or take the blitz. PPFC decided to take one dodge in the blitz. It was a one-die blitz, failed the blitz, the ball scattered out of bounds, and then got thrown back in where he wouldn't be able to score anymore. The game would end in a 1-1 draw. Game three of the week would be Play It By Nuffle versus Genus Chaos. This is Clypheus, the Chaos Cup champion versus War Horseman. War Horseman fielding a Chaos team. Play It By Nuffle fielding a Goblin team. Goblins are super fun. Goblins are super weak. I think Goblins are a pretty bad team, all things considered. Lots of Goblins. Strength two, Avia seven, not great. Their strength is in their shenanigans. They have lots of secret weapons to choose from, and their bribes are cheap. 
Their bribes are half price, so they can foul a lot too. Clypheus and Play It By Nuffle would come into this match with a Looney, with a Fnatic, and with a Bombardier. The Looney has a Chainsaw. The Chainsaw means that he doesn't have to make a block roll. He goes straight to an armor roll, and it's a plus three on the armor roll. The Fnatic has a ball and chain, which means he, he chooses a direction, one of the four cardinal directions. And then he just he, he moves it in, in a random space in one of those three spaces and hopefully hits an enemy. He can hit an enemy. He can hit a friendly. He can hit a player that is prone. Uh, not a great player, in my opinion. And then he picked up a Bombardier as a star player. Also, I'm not a big fan of the Bombardier either. Bombardier will toss bombs, but the bombs can be intercepted and caught. <laughs> so I don't think that's great. But the Looney is a fantastic player. And I think uh, almost a guaranteed pick on any Goblin team. They, they're just so devastating. And if you have the bribes to back them up, which Play It By Nuffle did have, then they can be out for the entire game. And that can be super rough. The way to play against loonies is to either keep your distance or take the block on them. If you take the block of them, you still have to make the block roll. The loony doesn't have to take a block roll, but you do. But if you knock them down, you get the plus three on the armor roll. So you either need to go after them if your opponent's going to let you or keep your distance and just force them to take the blitz with it. Otherwise, your whole team's going to get chewed up by that chainsaw. And speaking of getting chewed up by the Chainsaw on turn one, Genus Chaos would have a player killed by the Looney. It, it was pretty rough. <laughs> Genus Chaos would counter by taking a one-die blitz on the Fnatic. The Fnatic has a strength of seven or something ridiculous. Uh, that somehow worked out, and he got the KO and pulled the Fnatic off the pitch. That's great, but I still don't think that was the right call. That's a lot of players to dedicate to that blitz. I think you should be hunting the goblins instead. If you have a chaos team, go after those goblins. Just keep taking the blocks on the goblins. You're going to take them off the pitch and you're going to get the player advantage sooner or later. Otherwise, again, Genus Chaos can go after that loony. If the loony's available, take the blitz. Take the block on the loony. You'll get a plus three. Maybe you'll get lucky and take it off the pitch. Clypheus played in his typical style of breaking apart the opposing formation. In this case, Genus Chaos is defensive formation and exerting pitch control play it by nuffle had had well under control the pitch he knew where he wanted to be he had that area secured and there really wasn't a lot genus chaos could do to break into it and and get at the ball carrier in fact by turn four genus chaos's defense got twisted and was on the entire flank of the goblin cage they weren't even in the right position at that point Clypheus has done this before. It's really fun to see it happen, but man, just all of a sudden, you're just facing the wrong direction. You really have to be careful about those holes and not giving them up. Clypheus is a pro at taking advantage of that and shifting your team away from where it needs to be. On turn five, the Pogoer, the Goblin Pogoer, would Pogo away to safety. The Pogoer has very long legs and leap. Very long legs, gives a plus one on the leap skill. It also gives a plus one on interceptions. He was the ball carrier, leapt away, and on turn seven would score. Play it by Nuffle would take the lead in the first half, one to zero. On the final turn of the first half, play it by Nuffle would spend the bribe to keep the loony in the game, and then he would wisely swap out the loony and put it back in the reserve box 
He wanted to keep him ready for the second half. The second quarter would begin with Genus Chaos taking a blitz on a goblin from the wrong angle. He took it from the right side of the goblin, pushed the goblin back to support the troll that was on the left side. Trolls are really stupid. So if they're going to take an action, they have to roll a d6 first. If there isn't a friendly unit adjacent to them when they try this, they have to roll a 4+, plus, or else they don't get their turn. Otherwise, if there's a friendly unit adjacent to them, it's only a 2+. plus. Genus Chaos, if they would have met the goblin head-on, they could have pushed him away from the troll, and then a goblin would have had to move to get into position next to the troll before the troll could take his action. Instead, he pushes the goblin toward the troll, and this allowed the troll to advance towards the ball carrier that wasn't protected, get a two-die block, or a two-die blitz, rather, on that ball carrier. Genus Chaos would end the turns marked. I understand the, the tactic there. You're Chaos. You've got the strength advantage. You want to go after this goblins. But by ending the turns marked, you're giving Play It By Nuffle an opportunity to take those blocks on you. So, sure, you might have the strength advantage, three to say two, but he just needs to get one more goblin in there to make it a one-die block and two goblins in there to make it a two-die block. So Genus Chaos should have should have not been so aggressive on the marks unless they were either locking someone down or going in for an assist on a block or a blitz. On turn 12 with no protection on the ball carrier, a two-die blitz ended up killing the ball carrier. Genus Chaos's ball carrier. Play it by enough will be able to pick up the ball and they would win this game two to zero this was a really interesting matchup i don't think most of the coaches have seen goblins before so i can totally be i can totally understand being thrown by a loop when you see this wacky goblin play i think the next time genus chaos goes up against a team like this uh, or even goes up against play it by nuffle again later in this competition he'll be ready and he'll be able to see he's like ah i know what's going on now Forget the fanatic. I'll just stay away from the fanatic. I'll go after the loony. I'll take my blocks on the goblins and I'll be good. The final game of the week would be Pity the Ghoul versus Take the Wood, Take the Bad. This is Dead Fred versus Ava Unit 2. Necro versus Wood Elves. A very interesting matchup in my opinion. I, I slightly favor Necro. These are Necro and Wood Elves are both really good teams in Blood Bowl. Two of the the best teams in the game of Blood Bowl, in my opinion. And Dead Fred would come into this matchup with a skill pick that is a direct counter to this Wood Elf team. He picked up Strip Ball. Take the Wood, Take the Bad has two War Dancers and everybody else's alignment. The War Dancers both have Strip Ball. Pity the Ghoul would pick up Sure Hands to negate Strip Ball. Sure Hands negates the Strip Ball skill, and that really neuters the war dancers cage breaking ability and we'll see this put to, to great use by pity the ghoul in this game pity the ghoul would win the coin toss and naturally would put take would take a bat on offense you generally want to put a team like elves on offense a team like elves or skaven that are very fast and score quickly put them on offense because they tend to be fragile and if you put them on defense then they're guaranteed to have their maximum defense. Instead, if you put them on offense, not only are they going to score quickly, but then 
you have the rest of the game to try to win and whittle down their team. Take the wood, take the bad wood. Open this game by sending two ward answers down the pitch, threatening passes to each of them. Pity the Ghoul would cover both of those ward answers with two players each. He had the Ghoul in the safety position to shift to wherever the ball goes, and I think this was a fantastic defense. This is exactly what you want to do against a team like this. He kept his defensive secondary in check. He covered the war dancers. He kept a third player uh, in the safety position, being a safety as you as you need to do, and went toward the ball wherever it went. Really good defensive formation by Dead Fred to start this game. Take the wood, take the bat is not a particularly strong team, but they'll take the blocks where they can get it. And those war dancers are devastating. That's exactly what take the wood, take the, take the wood, take the wood, take the wood, take the bad did to start this game. On turn two, they would end up caged at the opposing six yard line. One of those two war dancers would be prone. The ghoul would then move to cover the remaining war dancer. It became obvious that the standing war dancer would be the receiver. And that's who he had to go after and target. Pity the Ghoul would then take a blitz on the cage, on the Wood Elf cage. This is really good aggression on his part. He would mark the ball carrier. Did everything right here. This, this, I think this was an idyllic defense for a Necro team against a Wood Elf team. He did everything he was supposed to do, but it's really hard to stop Elves from scoring. They ended up passing the score on turn three. Take the Wood, take the bad. Would take the lead one to zero. I think Pity the Ghoul was totally fine with this because now they potentially had the rest of the game to score. And I think this is where Take the Wood, Take the Bad stumbled a little bit. Take the Wood, Take the Bad played a solid defense all game through. I think maybe they want to back off a little bit in this first half and just let Pity the Ghoul score. If they would have let Pity the Ghoul, Pity the Ghoul score a little bit earlier then they could have conceivably conceivably gotten the ball back and scored in two turns. So I, I think that was a strategic mistake on take the wood, take the bads part. But uh, we'll see Pity the Ghoul set up on offense here, do a really good job in the first half on offense. They had they had five, five turns to score. Take the wood, take the bad wood, set up with a standard two deep defense. Not much to talk about there. Standard wood elf play on turn five. Take the wood, take the bad. Would do a cage break with a war dancer. If you're unfamiliar with this tactic, what a war dancer can do, once they pick up strip ball, war dancers come with block, dodge, and leap. So they can leap into a cage. They have a strength of three. All you have to do is mark a side of the cage. So in a standard cage, you have four corners. You can bring one player in to mark both players on a side, and then you can leap the war dancer in. Once you do that, those two players are not lending their assists on the block. The war dancer gets a one die block, maybe, maybe a two die block, but usually a one die block. It might even be an uphill block against certain teams like Kemri or something. Uh, but even an uphill block is not bad with the war dancer with strip ball. All you need to do is push the opposing player. And if you push the opposing player, the ball will fumble out of their hands. This is a very, very, very powerful tactic for Wood Elves. It's one of, if not the thing that makes them so great. And Dead Fred knows this. So he came in with a ghoul that had blocked, dodge, and sure hands. And that kept his ball carrier safe. So this 
Turn five cage break only got a push. And because he got the push, the war dancer had to dodge back out. That's more dice that the wood elf team is rolling. Now, these dice are all typically safe due to the high AG, but still, this is a great pickup. This is a key pickup against a wood elf team. And kudos to Dead Fred for picking up this, this, this critical skill. On turn five, Pity the Ghoul would take a risky blitz with the werewolf. The werewolf has frenzy. That means if you get a push on the first block, you have to follow up and take another block. He'd take the blitz, got the push, followed up, got another push, and now the werewolf found himself stranded on the sideline, had to dodge out to prevent that werewolf, a key player on this team, from being surfed. A 50-50 dodge, it happened to work out, but that was a little risky. I'm not sure he was counting <laughs> counting on that frenzy follow-up. <laughs> Dead Fred would spend a few more turns doing a great job chipping away at yardage, not over committing, just keeping caged up, finding blocks to take, focusing blitzes where he wanted the blitzes to happen, and then just taking a step forward, maybe moving laterally, just going to where he wanted to go and keeping the momentum on his side rather than giving it up to take the wood, take the bat. On turn six, take the wood, take the bad wood. Try it again. Another cage-busting leap. Another push. Pity the Ghoul would counter by marking the left side of the main defensive formation. So Pity the Ghoul was able to move this cage over to the right side of the pitch. Take the wood, take the bad's defense would shift to cover that. And then Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul did a great job of flanking this defense, marking the left side of the pitch, to then move the cage, shift it laterally all the way to the left side of the pitch. This forced take the wood, take the bad to fall back on their defense so that they didn't get broken up. They needed to keep their formation in check. They need to stay too deep. They need to stop that forward momentum. So they had to pull back, which further gave up a little bit more yardage to this Necro team. Pity the Ghoul would then threaten with the werewolf, threaten the pass to the werewolf. This further weakened Take the wood, take the bad's defense by forcing them to mark that werewolf, pulling another player off of formation. Very astute play, very well done by Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul here to try to capitalize on this movement, on this flanking move, and try to score here in the first half. On turn seven, unfortunately, Pity the Ghoul would fail a plus three dodge twice and fumble the ball. This would give Take the Wood, Take the Bad an opportunity on turn eight to pick this ball up and prevent the score. However, they would in turn fail a dodge twice, this time rolling snake eyes on a two plus dodge. That would result in a turnover and give Pity the Ghoul the opportunity to pick up the ball and score on turn eight. The score would be tied at the half, one to one. The second half of the game would start off with rain. The weather turned to rain. This is not good for either team, but probably worse for Pity the Ghoul. Both teams have a passing game. Take the wood, take the bat almost relies on it. However, they did have an AG, an AG fee, <laughs> a five AG lineman on their roster. So not, not too bad for take the wood, take the bat. Probably a little worse for Pity the Ghoul. On turn 10, take the wood, take the bat would stay committed to their tactics, their defensive tactics. They do a cage busting leap. And again, this would result in another push. Thanks to those, that shorthand skill, the ball would not fumble. On turn 11, Pity the Ghoul would take a blitz on a war dancer. I think this was a good call. It didn't end up 
causing any harm. But the War Dancers are a big problem on this team. In fact, the War Dancers are the only positionals on the team. So if you can take a block on a War Dancer and happen to take them off the pitch, that is a huge advantage to you. They are really hard to take off. They have block and they have dodge. They'll often have sidestep. But I think in this particular instance, this was a really good call by by Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul. In fact, if you can knock down a War Dancer, it's often worth it to try to take the foul, even if it's 11 v 11 on the pitch. If you can take that War Dancer off the pitch, you really hurt this team. If you can take both off the pitch, you cripple the team. Even if it's just a knockdown, eating up three MA on a War Dancer, that's great. You want to you want to limit them as much as possible. Turn 11 would see yet again, you guessed it, another cage-busting leap and yet again another push. But this time, take the wood, take the bad, position themselves so that if it would result in a push, they'd be able to push the ball carry out of the cage and take the wood, take the bad, would be able to take another block with their second war dancer, which they did. But can you guess the result? Of course, it was a push again. Take the wood, take the bat. Just could not catch a break on this cage busting. On turn 12, Pity the Ghoul would take a number of blocks on that second war dancer, and they couldn't catch a break on the war dancer. The war dancer stayed on his feet and just got pushed around. On turn 13, take the wood, take the bat, got a little aggressive and gave up too many blocks. Pity the Ghoul would do an admirable, admirable job of taking advantage of this, trying to break up the defense, but the elves are just really fast. It's easy for them to reset and get back in the defensive formation. Take the wood, take the bad, did just that. But props to Pity the Ghoul for identifying when take the wood, take the bad, just got a little too thin, a little too aggressive, and trying to split that defense apart. The elves have to stay too deep in front of you. If not, you could run right past them and you can start to bowl them over. On turn 14, take the wood, take the bat, decided to get a player in a scoring position. They wanted to try to win this game. It was 1-1 at this point. Uh, they kept their defense in check. They got another player behind the cage. This time the cage has shifted over back to the left side of the pitch, exactly like the end of the first half. On turn 15, Pity the Ghoul would KO a player. That is a key player that they knocked out, and it put take the wood, take the bat's defense in jeopardy. They had to shore up the right side of their defense. They were one player shy. This would force them to have to dodge a player out to fill in that gap. Pity Ghoul noticed this, and they tried to prevent that player from pulling back by getting in front of the player. They pulled a zombie directly in front of the player, forcing him not only to step laterally to get around the player and eat up another MA, but also to dodge. Really good presence of mind by Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul. On turn 15, take the wood, take the bad, would deliberate for a long time, deciding if they want to try for the win or play for the draw. The draw was, was decidedly the, the more probabilistic outcome. But man, it is tough to not play to win. <laughs> but the Wood Elves decided in the rain that it wasn't worth it. They would play for the draw. They pulled their players that were downfield back in toward the cage. They weren't going to try to win this game. Uh, but they failed that dodge they needed to do to shore up their defense on the right side. This meant that a GFI blitz to a GFI score would have won the game for Pity the Ghoul. However, Pity the Ghoul on turn 16 did the GFI blitz with a journeyman. 
the journeyman would fail the GFI and then fail the loner roll, and that would put this game away one to one. All in all, a pretty good showing here in week one for the Spike Magazine trophy. All the teams are shaking the rust off, getting back into action. Uh, we have a few new teams, some coaches switching out teams from the Chaos Cup here in the Spike Magazine trophy. I'm excited to see how it plays out here in the coming weeks. This is a Swiss competition, so the top two teams every week will play each other if they haven't already played each other. And I'm really excited to see how this plays out. It's been a great week so far. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number two, and watch archive games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other, forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your dice.